Hi, I'm Sung Ray. I'm something else. Here at Black Girl Soul, a podcast where we discuss the Asian dramas we love from a Black female perspective. We are looking to be entertained, to learn about other cultures, and share our passion for these shows. Welcome. Hello, everyone. This is Black Girl Soul. I am something else with Song Ray. And today we are going to discuss Pachenko, episode six, with our good friend Natasha. Hello, everyone. So Song Ray is going to give that wonderful recap just in case you were too lazy to watch the episode. It's all yours, Song Ray. All right, so in this episode, this is episode six, we are finding out the repercussions the ladies are facing after going and handling a situation on their own. We're also learning about Isak's job, basically, what he does, how he works. He's learning things, and we're getting to see about his experiences. We're learning about Hannah and what's going on with her and the truth about her, and we were correct about some predictions that we made. We're learning about... Solomon and his next steps and what he's trying to do and then just kind of seeing how things are playing out I think for me the biggest portion was learning about Sunja's son being born and how that worked and learning that there was more than one because I didn't realize there was more than one child so that was interesting we'll break it down and talk about it more in detail and I think that was it I can't remember anything else because this one wasn't very packed but it gave a lot of like breath to some other situations and things that we have been looking at and talking about. Did you guys have anything to add? Well, I didn't have anything to add, but I wanted to ask each of you uh, what your overall feeling of the episode was before we get into spoilers or anything like that, because I found the episode to be just very deep and edifying. I mean, I learned so much. And so I just felt it was a good episode. How about you guys? I enjoyed the episode too. It was pretty deep. And a couple of things, Song Ray, that you didn't mention is we got to see Kohansu's wife. We got to see the first interaction between him and his wife. I thought that was a pretty um, big deal too. And there was some parts about Solomon and, um, you know, and his job, which I won't get into detail until we talk about the episode. I'm going to agree. I think that this episode was very interesting. And like I said, it wasn't like we dealt with a whole lot, but we learned a whole lot. There was a lot of information that like kind of expressed more about things that we had been discussing and talking about previously. Well, with that being said, let's spoil the hell out of the show. Who wants to start? What happens first, Song Ray? You're good with the order of things in the episode. Okay. Well, for me, um, I think the thing that I found the most interesting at the very beginning was learning that the ladies were reprimanded heavily for their going out and deciding to pay that bill. Um, The uh, Sunkey's husband was very upset. He was not happy with the fact that they did it. He felt like he had been cut down as being, you know, the head of the household and the man because of they're going out and doing this and neighbors and people seeing it and men speaking to it specifically that neighbor next door because I feel like that is like the for real for real Miss uh, Pearl from 227 she is all in the business and know everything going on she got on my nerves and I didn't understand the point of the character and then later on it makes sense and I was like okay you redeemed yourself but 
she liked to shit disturb. Like she and she wasn't right. Not at all. Not at all. She made me laugh a few times and you're right. Later on, they gave her some redemption. But at the beginning, I was like, girlfriend, you're doing the most. Yeah, she's just so judgmental and she wants to spread people's business. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I really um liked about this episode, and it it does kind of start with Yosef being angry, is that you see like this kind of cyclical thing that happens where Yosef gets to express his anger because we all talked about in the last episode how we didn't know how that was going to turn out we didn't know if there was going to be a scene about his anger we didn't know where it was going to go so to see his anger expressed and then to later on with this young cat who kind of explains the anger and you get to the end and you see where they kind of give him back his, you know, his strength. They give him back his manhood. It was just very interesting how just everything was clicking real well in this episode. And like Sung Rang has talked about in the past, we've all talked about the various thematic elements that are either parallels or they kind of click in like puzzle pieces. And so it was just Yosef in this episode went through some highs and lows as a character, you know, like you thinking he was like the worst guy ever and then kind of realizing this is the context by which he's struggling to hold on to his manhood, right? And then you get to the end and you see him cry. You see this man cry, okay? Like, man, it was a good scene. We have to talk about that scene later. What else did you all notice other than, you know, the anger? I know with Yosef, I noticed that he, I mean, it's a lot of frustration too, because he and his brother had this conversation about, you know, where they came from. You know, they came from a good family in Korea. They were well off. And so to come to, to Japan and be constantly put down and beat down and treated as, you know, not a worthy human being wears on a, it wears on a person. And then on top of that, he probably feels like he can't sufficiently provide for his wife, who's also used to a more luxurious lifestyle. I mean, she's not a snob or anything, but she was used to doing, to having a better life in, in Korea. And so he probably has the frustrations of not feeling like he can provide that for her. Um, so, and then, and, you know, and then they, they don't have children. I don't even know that they can't, I don't think they can have children. So that's probably frustrating for him too, seeing how having a son, I'm not sure how important daughters were at that time, but having children seems to be a big deal to to for your family to continue generations later. So I really I really felt for him for for Yosef in this in this episode because although I didn't like how he took his anger out on the women, I could feel his frustration and kind of sympathize with what he's going through and what he's been going through and how that culminated. And, and even the scene in the bar, you know, he was just like, somebody was challenging his, like his past, his status and what he was and what he still sees himself as and the reality that he's living in now. And I know for me, I felt like this scene, the opening scene where he is doing the fussing. Yes. I do feel like it was harsh. However, it explained some things It gave me more context because again, I think when we talked about this last time I kind of explained that I too would have gone on and paid the bill because heck it needed to be paid 
And I'm not 100% sure he would have taken the watch from her had she come talk to him and offered it. I don't know if he would have done that. So I kind of feel like, yes, I would have. But then him explaining made it have context and made it make sense of that in the eyes of how we are viewed, how this is functioning, I am the head of the household. And what you did was basically took away my position. You made me look like I'm unable and incapable of doing what I need to do as the man and the head of the house. So I understood that and that made sense for me. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, they probably should have talked to him first. Like, again, even if it would have been a negative and he had said no, then you went on and did it, fine. But at least you talked to him and you gave him a chance to make a choice or to say, here's where I stand in this situation. So that was good. And then, yes, I feel like the bar scene was the bomb.com because it gave all kind of details. It explained where they came from. It explained his severe frustrations and angst. It explained the others in the community because that was a Korean bar with other Korean people and explained their situations where they were. And even when that inspection happened, how they were basically forced to kind of cower down and have to swallow the pride and what they were just talking about and the frustrations they were feeling, having to swallow all that in order to stay alive, basically. So yeah, I, it, it was a good scene. And I do feel, I agree with you, Natasha, this was a good episode for like explaining him and becoming empathetic with him. We're going to come back to that scene later because I also want to talk about Isak having that conversation with this young cat, this young guy, and I have names for him. I call him Young Korean Hotep at one point. First, he was Young Dusty Sir because, man, he had stuff all over his face, and he was just looking all dusty and dirty and stuff like that. And so what he says and the gems that he drops, we'll come back to because I'm not trying to say completely in order, but and we can go anywhere. You know, our conversations go everywhere. But I did want to go back to Hannah and Solomon because I thought it was like the first real scene where we get their dynamic and how Solomon ends up deported messing with Hannah. Like Hannah playing games and being Japanese and not, you know, they're young, so they didn't know any better, but not understanding that her Japanese privilege afforded her a freedom that he did not have. Like that whole scene in the convenience store was a mess. What did you all think? I agree. I think that scene like really took me somewhere because it made me think about my high school experiences and where I went to high school and where I grew up. But in which case I was like, okay, that was why he wound up in America. That was why he had to get sent away. He let her have way too much power and control over him, over things that, I don't know, it was almost like she strung him around by his nose and he was following around like, you know, a fish on a hook. And in which doing so, they go in this store and he winds up stealing. He's stealing something and he gets caught. Now the man was watching them the whole time. Hannah thought because she talked and finessed her way into the conversation, it was going to be fine. And as soon as that other guy came in, they went back there, did what they did, and then tried to run out. Well, she was able to run out, but the man caught him because he wasn't looking for her. He was checking for him, and he is who had it in his pocket. So, yeah, he got caught up. They called the police on him. He had to go to the police station when it could have been a simple case of, hey, give it here, don't do that again, and why don't you stay out my store? No, he took it all the way to the far left, and I believe it was – no, I don't believe. I know it was because he was Korean, and that made it – that much worse and like you said Hannah being irresponsible and knowing 
the lay of the land. And yes, they were children, so they couldn't have understood the full depth, but some of it, I feel like she had just been oblivious. It wasn't like things weren't happening. She was oblivious because it wasn't happening to her. I don't, I don't like Hannah. Um, and I don't think Hannah was oblivious. I think she knew what she was doing. She was just trying to have some excitement because it seems like all she's trying to do is ha- not have a boring life. And she said that a few times, like, this is so boring. Why are you so boring? I mean, this, even after she's older, she's saying this. So I think she knew the risk and she found it that more thrilling. I don't think that she expected him to get caught, but she knew that the, da- the danger of him getting caught made it that much more fun. And I think she's also resentful of the fact that her family, um, like her mom was married before. She's a divorcee. She's with a Korean guy. So people are looking down on her for being with a Korean guy. And I think she feels like her mom is bringing this mark on her too. And so she's rebelling for it. I don't know. And also, Hannah, I don't know how old they're supposed to be in the show, but she's older than, than Solomon. I mean, yeah, Solomon, Solomon. I think maybe 14 or something. And she's supposed to be like 17 or 18. She's older than him. She knows what's going on. I don't think that she doesn't care about him, but I feel like she knows what she's doing. She's not oblivious to what's going on. She's just trying to be manipulative because maybe she's bored. I could see that. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. But I think we, we can't ignore Solomon's culpability, right? Because he looked at that guy dead in the eye and knew that guy was not checking for him. He knew that guy was, I mean, do you call it racist? I don't know, a bigot at the very least. He knew that walking into the store. And in an interesting kind of way, it's like his naivete then is mentioned by her later when she's in the hospital bed and she talks about how, you know, he's not seeing things. He is a dreamer. He's been naive. And at that moment, when she's talking about him and telling him about himself, that's when I realized how much Solomon is like Isak. Because this whole time, it's been like, okay, let's parallel Solomon and Sunja. And at that moment, because they kind of went back and forth a bit, in scenes, I was like, oh, so you're like Isak. I mean, they're not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he is his grandfather and they have similarities. So then I had to stop and think about it and use extra brain cells. And I was like, okay, so they're naive. They're both in a country, in a space that they're not completely comfortable in. And they're both associated with female outliers who in some ways, are breaking the rules of society. In Sunja's case, she had a kid out of wedlock and had to be saved. And in Hannah's case, Hannah just wild and crazy and then gets AIDS at a time when they didn't even want her in the hospital. They were like, you on your own. Like a well-meaning doctor had to save the day. And you'll notice, total side thing, that they put her in what looks like a closet or something they have storage stuff in the same room as her hospital bed. I was like, they must have found some far corner of the hospital to put her in, well away from the rest of society. So bringing back around, I do think that there are interesting similarities between Solomon and his grandfather. What do you all think? I think that's interesting that you brought that up because 
because we find out in this episode that Sunja, I don't know how, if I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I'm not sure, but I think it could also be my uh, prediction. But, you know, we learned that Sunja has another kid in the show. And up until now, we are all assuming that, that Solomon's father is Kohansu's son, right? And if we did that, then would Solomon even be connected to Isak? No, I never assumed that. Okay, well, in the show, if you don't know that Sunja had a second son, you would have to assume that Solomon's dad is Kohansu's son because that's the only person that she's had a baby with so far. Well, yeah, maybe it was the research I did. I never assumed it that... It had to be something else because they never in this story ever, ever gave you any other inclination. So Natasha is 110% right. You would have assumed anybody else watching, just flat-based, that Solomon is Kohansu's son or grandson that would have been the natural assumption but then in this episode they did tell you and they did say something to the effect of her having another child like making it you know that's why i said earlier that there were two and not just one so her having another son which is what made me go oh crap i got a little lost now i need some more details right so so when you say when you say that solomon is like isak now that you say that, and since I know the whole story, I was like, huh, that's really interesting because they're more connected than we have realized in the show. Well, I, I always would have, no version of reality would I assume that um, Solomon was not Isak's, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I think I, I've just always known that there was a first child that was not Pachenko daddy. I forget how to say his name. It's Starts with an M it's or whatever. Moza- it's Mozazu. Right. I I knew for a fact Mozazu was Isak's son, and therefore Solomon was Isak's. I don't, I just okay, must have well, done I, some extra I, research. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that too, but I don't know that if you hadn't done research or hadn't read the book that you would know that. So and that's what I'm saying. I am helping you out and saying you're a thousand percent correct, Natasha. Yeah. Nobody would have known that unless you went and did some reading or you had already read the story. Nobody would have known that because that's not what they presented to us. Because right. I did no research. I have not read the book. I would have assumed he was Kohansu's grandson. Right. So um, so anyway, so so that's why I find it interesting that you compare Solomon to Isak. I didn't see the similarities before, but now that you're pointing them out, I see them and it makes so much more sense. It it makes sense. It would make sense to people to know that they are connected more than we knew they were connected because, because of their similarities. So yeah, I find that an interesting observation, something else. I'm also going to speak to like, when we're talking about this is that I find that for me, that Solomon, I don't necessarily know that I find him to be culpable in this situation, period. Uh, aside from being ditzy and following along with what girlfriend told him to do. In I the theft, you mean? Like, say it again. You're, you mean in the when theft. he stole? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, yes, he knew stealing was wrong. Yes, he knew he shouldn't have done that. And he allowed her to like kind of talk him into it. But I don't feel like, I feel like he's being, he should be held culpable because he, again, as Natasha stated, is the younger person. It wasn't necessarily his world to have to maneuver and deal with. Like, he was 
not new to the world. He was born there. But in which case, like, it was certain things I guess he just didn't have to delve in or touch in. And so his father kept him protected enough. But, like, Hannah, as Natasha said, I think it helps to note Hannah being a little bit more aware and obvious. Now, I'm not 100% sure I agree that she was totally, like... (laughs) nefarious in this nefarious in this but i feel like together the they're being goofy kids doing what kids do her being a little bit persuasive and yeah it did make me dislike her as a character um and i've been disliking her i ain't gonna tell a tale because from the beginning even when she was making her bossy phone calls i felt like those were bossy and kind of overbearing i wasn't feeling those either but like i don't know for him, I feel like it's she's been his kryptonite, and he allowed her to just take him over. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think he knew what he was doing was wrong. I do think that the punishment was way severe for what he did, and the fact that she wasn't also held responsible. You know, we know why because of the um the the shop owners and the country's bigotry towards Koreans, but. <clears throat> I felt like, you know, she should have been held responsible too, but I don't think that he, I, don't, I mean, he, he knew what he was doing was wrong. Even if, even if it wasn't in Japan, if he, if he were doing it in Korea, Koreans with Koreans, he would have gotten in trouble. But I think that the punishment was way severe. And I don't know that Hana knew that the punishment was going to be that severe, but I think she just was looking for the thrill of things and the, and the thrill of controlling someone and making them do what she wanted them to do. And the thrill of the possibility of getting caught I don't think she was trying to get him in deep trouble, though. You know, yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I don't think so either. Go ahead. Sorry, something else. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, I agree with you guys um, up to a point. I mean, I think in some ways she's just like a typical bad girl to me. <laughs> like, you know, she's the stereotypical bad girl. And so I don't think I'm going to have as much Hannah hate as Natasha's going to have because <laughs> Natasha read the book and she may have F extra levels of this she's so disrespectful even to her mom i mean come on she i I think she's a typical bad girl and i'd hazard that if we go into her past a little bit i'm not saying that it's right but i am saying that like hannah so far has not killed anybody she shoplift like kids do she encouraged it she's the chick that boys run after at least in this case solomon runs after i don't think she's some kind of extra special and not that you're saying so but extra special bad girl i think you know even down to giving her aids like that's some that's some old school storytelling where they take the female outlier the woman who goes against type who doesn't fit society's norms and they punish her at the end of the movie the novel by giving her some disease or killing her off like it's typical so i don't super feel strongly about Hannah at this point. But here's my question for you guys, because maybe you all have an answer. I certainly don't. Who got Solomon off? Like the police got a phone call and suddenly Solomon was free. I'm not saying it's Kohan Su. I'm just wondering who has juice like that. I kind of feel like it could have easily been Hannah's family, but like what kind of clout did they have at, at, as well like I don't know I kind of thought Hannah had something to do with it because it was only him and her there so who else would have known aside from the shopkeeper who was busy trying to punish him so he wasn't gonna help so who else was gonna help out it had to be somebody Hannah either went to spoke to talked to something to the effect that's what I thought 
I, I don't remember. Like, I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain. Like, who got him out? Who got him out in the book? Because I can't remember. My, my feeling, though, and I can't say for sure, because like I said, I'm working on just poor memory. I think Kohansu had something to do with it. That's why I mentioned him. Not because it was just so far-fetched, though. It's just because he's like the the guy behind the scenes who saves the day. It it Even for me to say it out loud is laughable. I was like, okay, so Kohansu, years later, is protecting the family still? Okay. But I'm glad you said it also so I don't feel alone. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying it also. And like I said, I can't confirm that even though I read the book because I can't remember who got him off. But I do know that Kohansu is following throughout the live. Like, he's he is following for years to see what's going on with that family. So I was going to bring up the next topic in my notes, unless you all have something you want to bring up first. No, you can go ahead. Okay, so I got a quote, and then I'm going to start talking about young Dusty Sir. So the quote is, you still don't see it. Maybe it's the suit. And it's because when Isak goes to see that son of the woman who was crying and she was like, please talk to him. You're a good role model. He's just in the streets. Oh my God, I'm worried about him. When she talks about him, not like she's throwing him under buses and trains, but in my head, I thought, oh, he's some dude thugging it up in them streets and he's getting loose and he's selfish. And then when you meet him, he's like the most emotionally self-aware, politically aware dude. Like, and so that's why his name changed from Young Dusty Sir to Young Korean Hotep because he breaks it down for Isak. He is dropping gems. You know, like he even talks about how you can't have these men being treated like dogs and then they their anger consumes them and then they go home and beat their wives because they're trying to find someone who is lower than they are. I was like, good God, sir. Like you just, I mean, mind you, I can't imagine a real person in that situation speaking so well. I mean, this is one of those times when I think, oh, okay, yeah, we're watching a TV show. But <laughs> but it was very interesting how he speaks to Japanese supremacy and how it creates a dysfunctional Korean male and messes with their psyche and how it's tearing the Korean family apart. And all that stuff, of course, reminds me of white supremacy in America and how that happens and how that's affected Black people and Black families. And so that's why I said this thing was going to come back around because when I saw that and all the gems he was dropping, I then felt more for Yosef and the loss of pride. There were just levels to it. It wasn't as simple as his ego. You know, not that I thought it was just his ego, but it was his ego. It was that he is in this society where he is barely making it. It's that he has a history of what he could have been, but for the fact that he is now in Japan under somebody's thumb, under somebody's boot, if you will, it was just so many layers. So what did you all think about that conversation? I think that was a very, very deep conversation. Now I'm going to have to disagree with you quickly, but the majority of what you said, I agree with on the concept of it just being a TV show, because that's exactly the point. A lot of times we get people 
like the reading, judging a book by its cover, we assume because people are in a specific place or in a specific situation, they aren't as deep as they are because of how they move. So I'm sure to his mother and to those around, he probably looked like he was just your general average hoodlum out there doing whatever. But that doesn't negate the fact that he is aware, he is paying attention, he does know what's going on. However, he's choosing to move in a specific way because I'm a parallel this with in where I grew up, I hung around a lot of people who were considered thugs. And yeah, a lot of people assumed a lot of things about them. But if you get to talk to them, you learn how deep certain people, not all, how deep certain people are in the knowledge that they hold and have because yeah, they pay attention, yeah, they see, but they also, in some respects, feel their limitedness, so they deal in a certain area. I feel the same about what you're calling young Hotep. <laughs> young Hotep there, or Korean Hotep there, was dealing in his limitedness, and that was why he was able to speak to Sa or to Isak like he was. He was able to tell him and talk to him because all of this is what's going on. You are blind to all of these things. You're blind to all of these situations, and the fact that you're missing it is the bigger problem is that you're coming to talk to me without being aware of where we are, where we stand, what we can do and what we can't do. And if you really want to be helpful, you're missing where you could be helpful and what you could be doing. And I love that line of maybe it's the soup. Maybe it's because of how you dress. That's, just, that's your problem. You're missing out on stuff. You're missing out on what you could learn or what you could know and how you could be helpful. But I think that was an excellent conversation that they had. I feel like it did open up and explain a whole lot of Yosef's life and his frustrations, his walk and what he was dealing with. So I agree with you. I think that was a real good conversation and I love how they did that. And it did do that parallel again that I have been speaking about between Yosef and all of the Koreans in Japan and what they were dealing with, as well as him having that one-on-one -on -one conversation with Solomon, I mean, with Isak, because his mom had asked Isak to come in, talk to him, talk to him. Right. No, let, let me clarify. Maybe I'm confusing and maybe you still disagree. But the reason I mentioned television isn't because I'm saying that, like, there are not full human beings who seem one way, but in reality, they are deep thinkers and, and move in a different self-aware manner. I'm saying that television means that we have that conversation in a different way versus in reality, they would have those conversations, but only after they got to know you. It wouldn't be like, hey, I just met you 10 minutes ago and I'm going to break. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it felt TV-ish. That's all I wanted to clarify. Natasha, what do you think? <laughs> you know, I agree with both of you. I think you're both really saying the same thing. Um, and I and I see what you mean, something else about, you know, just the TV moment, like having the opportunity to hear um, that person's thoughts. I'm, I'm curious about what he's doing. Like, I don't understand what the guy's actually doing, why he hasn't seen his mother, and like what the whole situation is surrounding that guy. Do you guys know? Is it clear? I did feel like he was working in a mine of some sort because he came from up, like when Solomon met him, he was coming up from somewhere. So if not a mine, maybe a train or a railway, something to the effect. That's I took it as he was just doing some hard labor job that required him to get down dirty and involved with his hands. And I guess the reason why he can't go home is because he has to work and he doesn't have time to go home. Like I wasn't clear on what his mom was so upset about if she is she just worried about his safety because just like something else was saying i thought that he was going to be like some kind of 
like doing wrong in the world, committing crimes, and she was worried about the path he was taking because of that. But I wasn't. I I, I don't know. Once once he once Sal Yosef no Esau sorry <laughs> once Esau found him and talked to him, I was like, okay, what is he doing? He's not committing crimes. Is he what? So why why well, I don't understand why his mom is so upset. Is it just because of his safety? Okay, so I'm gonna change my mind a little bit and I'm making some assumptions. I think that what might be happening is who he's associating with and the fact that he's so blatantly and openly discussing those issues in a space and a time where they had spies among them. And then we have the whole bar scene, right? So this is what I think is going on. I think he is dangerous. I think he is a criminal in their world because he's speaking openly about these things because he wasn't hiding the fact that there was a problem with Japanese supremacy, that they were living for all intents and purposes under Jim Crow, that they are being terrorized on a regular basis, right? So yeah, he's a threat and he's actually dangerous for his family because he's running around, even if he's just talking to his friends, he's problematic. I have a note here about him not being subservient, you know, while they have a boot on his neck. Like the fact that he's having those kinds of conversations with Isak right away and Isak even tells him, hey, you can't talk like that openly. I think he's dangerous. I mean, he's not dropping gems. He's dropping bombs. That's what he's really dropping. Because if he's talking that way and then he's caught, it's not just him, it's his family, right? So while I thought his rebellion was righteous and I thought that Isak didn't completely get it, I, I'm changing my mind. I think he was a problem. In the best way, in the worst way possible, I think he was a problem. What do you think, Natasha? Yeah, no, I can see that now. I feel like, you know, just like you, you're kind of realizing things as we're talking about it. And I totally agree with you. I can see how just how his mother would worry about him and worry about his safety. And he probably is staying away from his family to keep them safe, probably. And on top of his, his work schedule and trying to make a living, however he's making his living. So yeah, I can, I can totally see that now that you're, now that you're bringing it up and we're talking about it and it's, it's so tragic. And I wish I could spill some stuff about the future now, but I'm not going to because I can see how this, (laughs) I can see how this is like tying into something else that, what you're saying is like making me see some things in the future. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. I can see how this happened now. So, and that's just like a little bit of a tease for everybody out there. Who's <laughs> like, Ooh, what's going to happen? Cause um, yeah, I get it. Thank you, Natasha. Even though you're not giving away any spoilers, boo. I appreciate that you, <laughs> you're letting us know we're on the right track. And it makes me want to read the book, but at the same time, like this is very much a show that I would not have initially watched unless you all had pushed me to watch it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I skew totally a different way. I mean, I love it. And it's the kind of thing where if I had been in a bookstore and I started the book out of curiosity, then I would have bought the book. But there's so many levels. And I love just the imagination of it all and the tie-in with history. It's just, it's, it's doing a lot. But um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about how Solomon might be coming back up. Like you see him gather up his balls and go in to the office to gather his stuff up before walking out, which wasn't that bad. You know, I thought it was going to be worse, but he knew he was fired. It was what it was. But then he is found by, and I'm going to butcher this name, Mamoru Yoshi, but we saw him on the news and he comes from Japanese supremacy. He's like the prince of it because his grandfather, I guess, was heavily involved in the Japanese occupation and it's still a stain on the family. But we meet him and at that moment, I kind of feel like Solomon is jumping from the frying pan into the fire. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, I was really kind of disappointed with Solomon for even, I guess, entertaining the whole conversation. So old boy comes, he says to him, oh, we're both in bad spaces. We're both, you know, kind of losers in so many words. We're both being looked down upon. So why don't we get together? And he gets in the car and they go for this ride. And then while they're in this, having this ride, he brings up his father's pachinko business and suggests that they do this. And I'm going, and even Solomon has to ask. That's where I was like, okay, and this is how you know you're, you're making a mistake. You're fucking up. Um, you're going to ask him, is it legal? So Solomon, if you're getting ready to get involved in this, to me now speaks back to Solomon being clueless. And it's not just Hannah. It is Solomon himself in being clueless about how he moves in Solomon, you really going, this is the, the next step you're going to take. You're not going to try and find a job in your field, in your range, somewhere else. Instead, you're just going to take the total hit and try to go this way. Nah, I don't know. I was just kind of disappointed in him for even entertaining this. Now, I'm not sure if he's going to take this on, if he's just having the conversation just for the sake of it. I don't know. What do y'all think about his next moves from here? And what do you think about the whole scene, Tasha? Something else. I'm glad you told us who the guy was because I couldn't figure out. I didn't know who he was. I'm like, did we see him before? Like, who is this guy? I couldn't remember who he was. I don't remember him from before. So I'm glad that you that you clarified that. Um, and I don't know, like my reaction is a little bit different than yours. Like, I feel like Solomon needs to be, needs to think straight. He could be still in an emotional state because he just walked in, humiliated and walked out of that office with his box. So I understand he's in a fragile state right now, but my reaction and it could be because i read the book is not the same as yours i feel like yeah okay maybe you should think about other options and 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 maybe maybe you know maybe trying to fit in is not the path for you maybe you need to think about what your family has already done so i was more open to the idea of him talking to this man and considering this business you know that like then ties in with his conversation towards the end of the episode with Sanja because one I hated that he blamed her like it was her fault me too I was so upset about that right like it's not her fault that you finally grew some balls sir some Korean balls I mean it's not you know that you were honest that you weren't trying to sell out that you weren't trying to like assimilate assimilate so badly that you know you were denying your Korean heritage. It's not her fault, you know, that you got right. And I did feel that it 
was questionable with this Yoshi guy. On one hand, I thought, okay, you came up through Pachenko. Like, that's what funded your education. That's what put food in your mouth. So maybe you know that business more than anything else and you just ignored it. Maybe instead of looking down on your dad, you know, for having that business that you like take it to the next level. So on one hand, I thought that, but then on the other hand, I kind of felt like him working with that guy was him selling out again, like him not, you know, doing what Sanja was suggesting was, because what did she say during that conversation completely? She kind of said something about how like, don't sell out. I had the chance to sell out for lots of money and I didn't like, don't split yourself in half you know, trying to sell out. I think that's what she said. That was pretty much the gist of it. Now, what I am going to say, and I think for me to clarify my por- my portion in this, is that if they were talking about doing Pachinko in Japan, or if they were talking about doing it in America, that made sense. But where they were talking about doing it, gambling is illegal. That's why I have an issue with it. And it's not like oh. he's walking in not knowing this. He's walking in knowing it's illegal to gamble in Korea. It's illegal to gamble in certain parts of other East Asian countries. So when he asked him, is this legal? That was a serious question. And that's where I'm going, oh, come on, Solomon, let's, let's not play. So like, if you already know certain things, don't even engage yourself in this. Now, if you all were going to do it somewhere where it wouldn't have been an issue, go for that. Yes, make that money, do what you do. But if you're going in knowing that you could possibly have a problem or it could turn into something else that could bring shame to your family, don't do that, sir. Let that go. Yeah, that makes more sense now that you added that tidbit, because I had no clue that it was illegal in Korea or um, Macau or whatever other places he mentioned. I didn't know that. Can't speak to like Macau or whatever else, but I know for a fact it's illegal to gamble in Korea. Do you think it was illegal right. back then? Right. Oh, wow. Well, you know, in the 80s? I don't know, yes. but I if don't know. Were, <laughs> no, if we were talking like in the 30s, I could tell you I don't know. Like if we were talking when Solomon was born, I could easily say I don't know. But I'm thinking the 80s, yeah, I think they had that stuff on the books by then. Yeah, I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. another, okay. you know, got to read up on Korean life and Korean history. Right. <laughs> to know that. But, um, okay, so. so just before you go. move on, yeah. I just wanted to say that it really did bother me that he blamed his grandmother for the falling out of that deal. I felt like she should have got up and slapped yeah. him. But, you know, it didn't happen that way. I think she kind of had she could relate a little bit in his, his anger and she was trying to give him some space to express those emotions, but it really made me upset that he blamed her. After he I used totally her to try to get the deal. Because it was so unfair for him to make that be her issue when the woman asked him about his grandmother. Nobody else brought up his grandmother. He didn't. She didn't say, well, when you go in there, think about her like it was me. She didn't tell you that that lady asked you, what would you do if your grandmother did this? So like, why are you blaming your grandmother for that? That was ridiculous. Okay. So I'm going to like take this completely out my ear, but I'm seeing another parallel and maybe you all will like it or agree with it. And maybe you won't. I feel that Solomon blaming uh, Sunja is like us blaming Hannah for his behavior. Not completely. And the reason I say that is because Hannah and Sanja have that scene together where Hannah has blamed Sanja, like, you made me leave, you know, leave the family because you didn't think I was good enough for Solomon and repeated, like, some phrasing back 
to Sunja. And Sunja was like, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about myself. So you have two women who both, when it comes to this man, feel that they control his actions or a bad influence on him. And they do not make him as responsible for his actions and his feelings and his movements. Pulling out my ear. What do you all think? Well, I, I didn't blame Hannah for what, for what Solomon did. I just don't like Hannah, but I didn't blame her for what Solomon did. I mean, I feel like she was trying to manipulate him and he kind of let her do that, but he held some responsibility in the actions that he took. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really see a big connection between Hana and, and Sunja and maybe the motives have something to do with that. I'm not sure. I'm going to also say, I don't feel that way. I said earlier and I'm still sticking to Solomon was responsible for what he did because he knew stealing was wrong flat out. However, I am also saying that I feel like Hannah is manipulative in the story. And I've been saying that, like I said from the beginning, I felt this way. I didn't like her early on because I felt like she was kind of pushy and overbearing and he allowed it. At the end of the day, he allowed it. So it is his responsibility for it. But I'm not negating also the fact that I don't see her. I see her in my mind for what it is that I feel like, you know, I don't feel like she's this innocent just person that's there and Solomon has just ran upon some of her stuff. No, I feel like she has recognized. It's almost like when you have someone that you know likes you and you use those things to get favor or to get stuff. That's how I feel like Hannah has been functioning since they were young. They were young. She knows he likes her. She knows he wants to be with her or that he, you know, has a thing for her in so many words. And it's it's manipulative, like Natasha said. That's just my personal opinion about it. Um, as far as the parallels, I feel like that conversation between Sanja and Hana was extremely interesting because Hana was bit determined that I don't like you and I haven't liked you from way back when, when you told me to uh, run away. You're the reason I ran away from home or why I left home. And it had nothing to do with her. Sanja was concerning herself with the fact that her life had been a mishaps from beginning. And that to me was more of a parallel back to when her mother had gone to the shaman and said she was a curse or some or of some sort. And that the reason why she was coming to the shaman was to discuss and talk about how to lift that so that that burden wasn't upon her family. So I saw that as a parallel more than I saw Sunja and Hana. I feel like that Hana getting that opening from Sunja was interesting because she's in her deathbed in so many words. This man has, the doctor has said she has weeks, maybe days to live. And so like that was her getting what she needed in order for her to be able to move on and be set free to know, no, nobody had any issues with you. The choices you made were yours and yours alone because I was talking about my life, not your life. And you know, too bad. I'm sorry you felt that way, but no, it wasn't you at all. Um, And to be honest, her even saying it's because you thought I was a bad influence or Solomon and because you thought this and that. I feel like that was because Hannah knew, Hannah knew she had been doing the little stuff she had been doing. She's not oblivious to her own actions and what she's done. Like, again, like I said, if you were to think about this in terms of if someone liked you and you use those things to kind of get stuff or do things, you're not oblivious to it. If they do it, great that that's on them because they chose to do it but it's not like you're oblivious to it so that's just my take no I mean I definitely think she's a you know quote unquote bad girl I definitely think that with 
all the bad influences and toxic dynamics involved. Totally agree with that. But with that scene between the two of them, it was just interesting how Sanja felt that she was a toxic influence. That's an exaggeration, but for Solomon. And I was wondering exactly why. Was that because of her being Korean and them being in Japan and wanting him to be free of that? Is it because she had this maybe extra inflated expectation for him and his life? Like, why did she feel that she was a bad influence or, you know, a negative influence in Solomon's life? I think, I think if I were, you know, Solomon's mother or grandmother, grandmother, because that's who he had. And I saw this girl who I could clearly see is manipulating him. He can't see it. And she's using, you know, uh, sexual tensions to manipulate this kid. I'd be worried about my grandson too. I don't know. No, 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 no. She went, because remember, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. I mean, because remember, Sonja said, I didn't, when I said those words, I wasn't talking about you, Hannah. I was talking about myself. Mm-hmm. Why did she, why did Sunja think that she was bad for so- Solomon? I think she, well, she said that I thought to somebody, she was saying that, you know, I had a son before and now he's gone. So um, I think just the pressures and maybe we'll see her interaction with her other son. We will probably in later episodes, see her interaction with her other son in, you know, trying to make way in this Japanese world and fit in and be the best version, you know, to represent our people here. Maybe that pressure was too much on her son. And maybe she felt like she was also putting that pressure on Solomon when he was growing up. And so she, she was, she probably wanted to say, Hey, let me remove my, let's maybe put some space between us so that I'm not putting that same type of pressure on you. Songre, what do you think? Well, I've already stated that I took it as a parallel between her mother and her. I feel like she has that same feeling of this is a generational curse in so many words that has been passed down and I don't I didn't want to pass it down to him. So I was talking about my own life and who what what I feel. I don't think that anything she has done specifically has led to that, but like just the gist of all of who she is, all of her life, the fact that she had to leave her family, the fact that she got pregnant without having a plan and you know place all of those things make her feel like she is not the I guess most successful or most wise person whatever whatever but I feel like that was what that was for me it was more of a parallel between her and her mother yeah I think the pressure of being in Japan as Koreans and feeling like you always have to prove yourself and prove that you know you are as smart as everybody else and you are as you know righteous or worthy as everybody else and having to having that pressure on your shoulders to try to prove yourself can be too much to carry and I feel like maybe she felt like she did that to her to her other son and she didn't want to do that to Solomon speaking of her first son we get to witness his birth and one of the first things and and there's so much to that there's so much to those scenes but the first thing that I thought when I watched it was here is this chick having a whole baby in an unsanitary Korean ghetto and she is worried about her brother-in-law and his ego. That's what I thought at the time. I was like, everyone is like, how's Yosef doing? Go check on Yosef. 
even though she's having a baby right then and there. I mean, I understood she was trying to get Isak out of the room. I get that. <laughs> but I was like, uh, ma'am, can you be all about yourself and trying to live and there is no hospital? Like that stuff was just irking me. What do you all think? Yeah, I found the scene to be intense and Isak wasn't really helping. <laughs> he was kind of bringing more tension and stress to the room and I think in light of what happened and Sunja feeling like it was her fault that um, that the brother-in-law was so upset I'm sorry names are escaping me right now um, so I totally got that I was just like yes get out of here go find your brother try to make things right on that end we've got this here so I was I, I understood her thinking about him in that way like it was helping her too to get him out of there and then as far as the sanitary stuff I just felt like you know sign of the times you know people had babies at home and it wasn't always clean and yes it's kind of gross but that part didn't really bother me too much i was i did find <laughs> i did think it was kind of cool that the the, the gossipy lady miss pearl comes over and at first she's fussing and complaining about it and then she's like <laughs> let me just handle this i, I could do this <laughs> she was like i'm, I'm health first pig so i'm going I'm, i know what i'm doing i was like oh shit a pig <laughs> okay <laughs> But I love that because I feel like that was their way to like give her some redemption for them to say, you know, in so many words, she came over because she said it was too noisy. People are trying to sleep. It's too noisy. So her coming over to help out and to actually be of some assistance instead of just being the neighborhood gossip and causing more drama. I love that. I do feel like um, it was to get him gone. Like more than anything, it was all about you get up out of here because he was trying to hold on and be strong because as soon as he left, she broke down and started crying out about the pain. And before that, she's acting like, oh, I'm fine. It's okay. This is normal. Women have been giving birth since the beginning of time. Nothing's wrong, you know? And I'm going, look at her. This is her first doggone child. She has never felt this pain before. She knows nothing of this, but she putting on this front because she didn't want him to be, I guess, concerned or over the top about this. And to be honest, like, I think also if we just all stop and think about it, it's not his child and she knows it's not his child. And so not that she didn't want him there for the birth, but just there's a whole lot of stuff. She would just, let me just get through this and then we can move on from here. I also feel like um, the redemption, the redemption for me when I feel like she was being concerned was when they came back home and she told him to name the baby. That was where I was like, go ahead, because the elder in yeah. the family in Korean societies usually do the naming for the family, if I'm not mistaken. I think they give the names for the uh, the children. However, I love that she gave that to him and was like, because you were the head of the house, we want you to name him. Even when he said no, she was like, no, you're the one who's supposed to do this. And I was like, okay, there you go. Go ahead, Sonja. Because she gave back his power in so many words. Yes, and, it was, and she was making peace with him too. Like, I still respect you. I like that scene too. That scene was everything. There were so many levels. It was crazy. I mean, especially since it was on the heels of Isak and Yosep coming from the bar. And we can talk about the bar scene next. But it's like, not that Isak isn't strong in his own fashion. And we see that when he basically tells his brother, shut up. Don't let my wife's name come out your mouth. <laughs> and, and right away, Yosep is contrite. He's like, oh, you know what, man? My bad my bad I was tripping you know right away it's like you go see this is how they're brothers I mean you see it in the bar scene but you see it here too and then in their conversation 
you see that Isak is deep as all get out. We knew he was, but he's like, Sunja is not only going to make me a better man, but she shows me that I can change the world, not in some grand way, because, you know, that's what he said, not in some grand way, but that I can change the life of my child. I can make the world better so that he can, what did they say? See the outline of his uh, body. And then he didn't just say he can, he said he or she can see the outlines of their body. And I was like, wow, okay. And so when they get into their home and she's given birth, it's like Yosef remembers that conversation and ties it on in into naming him Noah. And I was like, I'd have to go back and look at that scene, but that, that naming him crying, you know, him talking about how the baby is going to, he said something about open up the world or something like that. Very much about the biblical Noah, right? I was like, okay, way to go writers for like tying it in so well. I mean, it was so crisp. What did you all think? Yeah, I loved it too. I love that it was poetic. Normally when I'm reading, I don't like things that are very poetic. It just, this is not my style, but I felt like the way everything ties in on the show, um, it was, it was deep. It was deep and it was um, emotional and I felt like it was really well done. And just in the whole intensity of the scene, uh, it, it was, it was great. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. It was a good scene. It really was. And I noticed a couple of other things. I, I noticed that Kanji, I felt bad for her. They hit her face a couple of times where she was, you know, just feeling less than because she couldn't give that to her husband to see him so emotional and that she couldn't do that. And I even wondered if it was that he was na the first child that he was naming wasn't his, you know? And so I was like, I felt for her. And then what else do I have? Yeah. I have the Sanja, you know, having the emotional intellect and the tradition to like, go, this is, you know, please name our child. And then, Oh, I have a stupid note that, um, that baby was super cute. Just a super cute baby. That was a super cute baby. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I think for Kungi, I was a little bit, now this is just me and what I paid attention to, was prior to uh, Miss Pearl coming in, she was kind of like fretting like a, a chicken. Like you're just running around doing much of nothing. And I'm going, she didn't know of any home birth people or anybody in the neighborhood I guess because she hadn't given birth she didn't have a clue but I don't know I was just looking for her to be a little bit more helpful in the scene till Miss Pearl showed up and took it over but I guess that was why we needed Miss Pearl to come in to give her her redemption for being who she was but I was you know kind of like Kyung Hee you're not helping out what you doing girl <laughs> yeah Kyung Hee was no help at all I felt I kind of felt bad for her because, you know, she comes from this privileged life where she had people doing stuff for her. And so here she is in this situation. She's just like, oh, my God. And then they weren't even prepared. Like they didn't have. I wonder who they thought was going to birth the baby. I know the baby was early. She said it was a little early. But when it was supposed to happen, like, who were they going to who was supposed to do this? And couldn't she go get her? Because I know right. exactly <laughs> that when you. A lot of times in, in shows and movies and stuff, 
people break their water and then they have the baby right after, but it could be hours before you actually have the baby. So she could have run off and gotten somebody. Girl, you sound like Sun Ray with logic and suspension of disbelief. <laughs> yeah, I'm bad about that. <laughs> Like, no, because, no, it, it makes perfect sense. Okay, the water drops. It could have been, like, half a day. And they could have gotten anybody. Like, didn't they have a plan? Didn't they have a midwife somewhere? She wasn't the first one to have a baby in, in a Korean ghetto. Like, what's up? <laughs> Y'all are funny. Okay, so this is the scene that I call the Jim Crow scene. That's what I have, have written down in my notes. And that was the bar scene from beginning to end. You know, it kind of echoed what had been seen before and discussed before. You know, um, young Korean Hotep talked about it. We knew how they had to live um, in the Korean ghetto and in Japan. Um, We knew what it was like in Korea as far as, you know, people getting stopped and, and not being able to speak openly. But you get that even more in the bar scene. What did you all think? I think the bar scene was very, like you said, it was telling in that I did align it to like Jim Crow. I did align it to, you know, certain scenes in American history where you find that here they are, they the, the one place that's theirs, because that's what I'm gonna call it, even though it was substandard, obviously they are under some kind of railroad or um what is it where you have the tracks over on the streets uh rail cars like it was under some type of rail system because periodically the entire room would shake the table would shake the cups and bottles would shake like it was not some place that you wanted to be or that you you know was ideal to be to go have a drink after work but this is where they were kind of forced to come and gather and in their coming together the chance for them to kind of like release their steam, release their stress, talk about the things that bother them amongst others who are like them. And even in that, they couldn't have that. And you even have amongst each other where there's arguments going on because like you said, someone mentioned it earlier, either you and Natasha, I'm not sure, but that um, he is telling about his life. And even in telling about his life, he got to hear about how, oh, if you're royalty, I'm the king of, you know, king of, uh, Joe song or I'm related to royalty too like you know he couldn't even have his moment of frustra or releasing his frustrations without someone coming and having that crab in the barrel feel and then you even have where the Japanese police have come in and they come and now they're doing searches and being just rude and disrespectful so yeah it was it was a it was a tough scene but I think it was needed again for us to completely understand what kind of situation they're in what kind of life they're living and how Things are focused on them. It made me think back to the scene in the boarding house when they had the fisherman who was speaking up and speaking out, and then he pays dearly for it. Um, It made me think about that. Like, oh no, who's gonna, like, who's gonna be punished? Because I was just waiting for something awful to happen. And I'm glad, I mean, the, the whole raid was awful. I'm not gonna say that it wasn't awful, but I was just, I was worried, I was stressed out that something horrible was going to happen to an individual in that room and I didn't want it to be Yosef and I didn't want it to be Isa I was like oh gosh there's a baby being born at home you know it stressed me out it made me think about the boarding house scene honestly when you said that about Isa I thought he was going to do something because it seemed like his brother in so many words was telling him don't do it or don't you know I thought he was going to react 
Well, you know what was interesting is that, yeah, when he was going to react and his brother held him back, I felt that the shaking of the room at that moment was his anger because it happened like almost right after where all of a sudden the guy is on the ground grabbing stuff and, you know, because he's normally mild-mannered that you can see he's he felt strongly that he was supposed to do something and he was being held back. So um, what do you all think? Yeah, I think his talk with that young Korean hotel, as I have to call him too, I think that probably helped play into it too and um, like give him some, he had a dose of reality, like a reality check and he's seeing things like he hasn't really seen them before. So that probably helped spark some kind of courage in him. And I was also worried that he was going to, I was surprised that he was going to actually, that he was even thinking about doing anything. And I was worried that he was going to actually follow through and do something. But since his brother has been living there longer, I'm glad he was like, you know, just calm down. There's a better way to fight this. And this is just going to make things worse. I'm going to move to the last scene, unless you all want to talk about anything before we get to the Kohan Su scene. No. So the Kohan Su scene was incredibly toxic and incredibly dysfunctional. What do you think, Sonia? It was really, 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 really like, for real? You, you just going to lay all of this out on her and act like this is normal? Like, dude, you are over the top. I feel like he is, like, I hear him saying, and that's why I'm very interested and I really want them to delve into his life a bit more and to give us a little more about him because there's got to be some more here. Because, like, for him to feel comfortable enough, yes, this is a marriage of uh, convenience, but you're telling your wife that you have a son and that she no longer has to perform her conjugal duties any further because he has this son. So it made me say, and now here's my prediction. And when Natasha returns, I would love for her to speak to this as a, I don't know. I want her to tell me if I'm right. I don't know if we're doing these kind of spoilers, but I'm going here. I think he's going to take the son. I think the son is going to be who he raises and he takes him from Sunji because she never said the son died. She just said, I don't have him anymore. I lost him or something to the effect. And him telling his wife was to me going, dude, for real, you just going to put that out there. You married this woman. Y'all got three kids together. You telling her you're cheating. You telling her you got a son and she ain't got to perform her duties anymore. Like you doing her a favor. Like, I don't know. It was just, you're right. It was toxic. It was sick. It was, it was a wild scene. It was a wild scene. I thought it was toxic too. And you know, I defend Kohansu a lot. And again, I don't like the way it went down and it portrayed him to be more heartless than he really is because it didn't give us any background to their relationship yet. And I felt like in the book, we got more background into his wife and what her character was before. And and he didn't go off on her like this in the book, but before she found out, she does find out about what happened. Um, I, I just, I don't like the way it happened. So yes, it was very toxic and yucky. And as far as your prediction about the sun, uh, I don't know. Maybe I have to tell you this offline, okay? Mm -mm, don't tell us at all. Don't tell us at all. Well, no, you can tell me offline. Thank you. I will tell you. She's like, I need to know. I, I want to because know. Because my fear. My fear. 
my fear is that we won't even find out this season. And well, I'm no. like, oh no. Only because next episode, so you know, Apple TV gives you your what's coming. Next episode is chapter seven. It's coming this Friday. And it says <laughs> as a young man in 1923, uh, Hansu is thrown into a cataclysmic disaster that will change everything. And you see him dressed poorly compared to what he's usually dressed like. So I'm curious as to do the wife divorce him and move on? Like, I, I got a bunch of theories going on now after seeing the preview of what's coming. Well, you know what? I didn't see the preview, but let me ask you a question. Did it feel like it was after or do you think it was before? Like, they're going into his past. You know what? And that's why he broke down. Because 23 would be before. You're right. You're right. You're right. My fault. You're correct. They should. They're going into his past life. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Girl, no. There's no clarification. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm just guessing. Okay. Well, that's good to know that they're going to go into his history a bit next episode to kind of see, you know, how he came to be in the situation that he's in. And I'm curious to see if they show, you know, like his wife and his kids um, and, and, you know, why he's so bitter about it. Right. And I think that's even though you didn't do it intentionally, something else I thank you anyway, because it was the date. It says as a young man in 1923, and remember, at some point we saw 31, so this is a backtrack. We're going backwards. So, yes, thank you. Well, you know, my prediction was that I think that when he realized that Sunja had a son, like, if it had been a daughter, I think it would have been a different ballgame, but I think he's going to offer her money for the son. Like, I don't know about him taking the child because I don't know how that fractures that little family and what that looks like if he swoops in and takes the child and then everybody and their mama knows that she had been messing with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much fallout for that from that. Maybe that's what really happens. We Who knows? But I just have a feeling like he's been in the wings and he was like, okay, let her go over there and see how dirty and musty it is up in the, in the Korean ghetto. And you know, I can't let go of the, the, the unsanitary nature of it all. Because they make those streets look real muddy. Anyway, and so he was like, let her see how it is, and then I will get her. And I will get my child. And the fact that the child is a son on top of that, I think that's why he was like, just so upfront with the wife. I mean, yeah, it was completely wrong because he was he was throwing strikes at her unprovoked. She wasn't I mean, she wasn't like some type of sympathetic character either. I mean, she's sitting there looking kind of sinister and she threw some jabs back, too. So, oh, yeah, because she was like, um, it doesn't matter if you tell me to get out of the conjugal bed. My body is sully. I was like, damn, chick. I appreciated her for that because it was like, at this point, if I was trying to go get right, you didn't fuck it up. So move on. <laughs> Right. And we could talk about like what the circumstances are that this Japanese woman clearly was forced because I'm not seeing that they were so far unless um, Natasha corrects us that she was forced to marry a Korean guy like a poor Korean guy. I don't know. I have theories about it and we can talk offline together about it because, yeah, I want to know secrets, too. I want to know what is going to happen in the future. Sorry, guys. You all won't know, but we will. <laughs> anyway, um, that's why we have our resident reader, right? Because she's going to break it down and tell us what's up. But I don't know. 
I felt like he's just been waiting in the wings. Like, I'm going to get y'all. What do y'all think? You mean you, you think Kohansu's like, I'm going to get back at this Japanese family that I'm in? No, no, no. I think that he's been looking at Sunja and the oh. baby going, I'm going to let you sit there for a second and see what it's really like. And now I'm going to swoop in and take you all back. I, I don't think yeah. that he just wants the baby. I think he also wants Sanja. And I think he was going to throw a lot of money at them. And that's why she said that she turned away riches upon riches or however she said it. Yeah. And I agree with you totally that I feel the same way about just in without having knowledge, Natasha, hold on. But uh, <laughs> I feel the same way. I agree that he is probably going to come for them as a couple, a package, but realize she is not going to, you know, learn that she's not going to. And that's what made me say, I wonder, is he going to wind up with the son? Yeah, I won't, I won't confirm that on this, on this episode, but I will say, cause we've said it before is that he does not go away. I mean, he's a part of, he's a, he's in either in the background, in the, in the foreground, he's a part of their lives until the very end. So that's what I'll say about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, okay. So, so on the, I'm going to build on Sungray's um, prediction because I mean, I have no dog in this fight, like whatever happens, happens. So if he does take the son, then I wonder if he passes the son off as his wife's child. And then the child grows up Japanese. I'm just pulling stuff on my ear. <laughs> it could be not true, but okay. Uh, I don't know. I need you to go ahead and do your music. Uh, something else. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, just making those stuff. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this doesn't affect your theory really. And like I said, I won't tell you what what happens with that. But I don't know if you guys noticed. There's a scene, the old Sunja, and on her wall, there's this like framed thing that says uh like in loving memory of did you guys see that i didn't yeah i noticed this thing on her wall that says in loving memory of so i think that's like a little hint to something that has happened to their family oh so he they make it seem like he he died and so they lose a son but really he didn't die he was actually raised by Kohan Su. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, Ooh, that's a possibility because you, there have been some lies told to protect. Like she said, that watch was given to her by her mom. So yes, there are some lies that are told to, to protect the reputations of their families, but I will not confirm or deny whether that you're correct, but good thinking. Okay, y'all. I'm rolling with you something else. I'm rolling with you. Girl, you know we trying. We trying until we absolutely know. Is there anything else that you all noticed, thought about before we close up this episode? It just, it hit me because I mentioned it in the opening, but then we didn't delve into it in our discussions, or did we? And I might have, like, lost it and there's been so much to talk about here. Um hannah having aids like the fact that that's because initially when we talked we talked about it being tuberculosis or i think 
I think that's what we said. Poli, I don't remember what we said, but I do know we predicted that she may have had AIDS. And then when they said that she actually had it, and you mentioned something else about how they had, you know, it was a time when they didn't even want her in the hospital. And I was just, you know, thinking about how I love that they kept it true to the time period, because yes, at that time period in that the world, that was a, you know, wild time people didn't understand it people were afraid to be around it and I kind of was interested in how her family had I guess such little knowledge of what it was that they were attending to open sores on her body while visiting with her yeah I noticed that too one thing I was confused about though and I, I didn't do any research I thought this whole skit like I thought of course AIDS was around in 89 but I thought the introduction of it was an earlier time than that and the fear was stronger like earlier than that and by 89 a lot of the fear had calmed down but that's just me thinking I don't know I have I'd have to look and see but I also did find it interesting that they were tending to her open wounds I thought I thought they didn't want her in the hospital not because she had AIDS well partly because she had AIDS but, but because her family was tied to like Koreans and it was almost like a shunning type of thing. What? That's interesting. That could be the case too. And then I thought maybe her, maybe her mom and Sunja were taking care of her because no one else wanted to take care of her. Maybe not because of the fear of AIDS, but because we don't, we don't, we're not going to risk ourselves with this disease that's kind of new on a woman who is associated with Koreans. Like I don't know if if she were a Japanese family that they consider respectable if they would have treated her that way? Well, some of it is that I think that I didn't think in terms of her uh, proximity to Koreans, but I did think that she was a pariah, social pariah, especially when you consider how maybe they perceived getting AIDS. You know, if it was like in America, it was considered the gay disease for a while, erroneously, of course. And so I wonder if they felt that she was dirty because she had AIDS and that, you know, no respectable Japanese woman would have AIDS, you know, like it was that deep. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's, I didn't, I didn't think about her proximity to Koreans, but I did think that she had chosen to put herself in this non-traditional space. And she even talked about how she got it from a wealthy Japanese guy. So I'm thinking to myself, like she was in them streets or she was somebody's mistress. She got AIDS and got abandoned and thrown to the trash. What y'all think? No, I like, I mean, that, I think that's a good, We none of us really know. And I think that's a, prob, a good possibility is that, you know, just based on what she might've been doing, they're just like, yeah, she's not the kind of people morally that we want to tend to and that she would, she was dirty. And when, so- when Solomon was looking for her in the last episode in whatever part of town they were in, I don't know what part of town that was, but it was kind of dirty. Was it? I don't know. Did you did you guys know what that part of town was where Solomon was looking for Hannah and he came across that old friend of his and people weren't living on the their best lives? Japanese no, people. I that. didn't know what what, t- what the name of the town was or like even they didn't give us full context other than to say kind of like it was a over there like somewhere you don't want to be. That's how I perceived it. Yes, I just thought that you know, given that they're like maybe considered upper middle class. 
I thought it was like, you know, even if it was like the wrong way, they're upper middle class with the Pachenko parlors. Um, I just got the impression that she was like hanging out in the hood. Like she was just like going, she was, you know, in a sub society. She wasn't trying to, um, you know, she wasn't like keeping a traditional job or doing anything that would be traditionally acceptable. She was one of the dregs of society. You know, maybe she was a mistress. I'm guessing, I don't know, a mistress for a while. And she couldn't be accepted by portions of society because of that. And then she's, um, you know, having to make her way without money. Like, I didn't get the impression Hannah had a job and a profession, right? <laughs> so... You know, they- when I look when I look back at last at the last episode, um, and just the way the that neighborhood was presented, and they were Japanese people, they weren't Koreans living in, in this way. They were Japanese people, and then when he talked to his friend too, it seemed like he had almost fallen to this place, like not not only fallen but chose this place to go to because he left. He apparently had a wife and a family, and his friend decides to go here. So I wonder what it was, like, if it was, like, where the prostitutes hang out? Is it where gay, like, at that time, is it where gay people felt like they had to go? What type of under society was this? It it seemed like it was more than just a class thing. It was like a shunning type of thing. Like, I don't know. I didn't didn't totally get what that neighborhood was and why Hannah would have been there and his friend would have been there. I like you using the word under society because that's, kind of what I meant like not of not above board above board is not the word but um not not upright or not I don't know what do you think Sungray I'm gonna agree with what you were saying because I took the same stances that I felt like it was some form of a ghetto of some sort that she was in and why she was there aside from the fact that that was the choices she had made because even in their earlier conversations, I want to say it may have been the first one where he was like, where are you? I'll come to you. And she said, you know, I've, it was kind of like, she put it out there. Like I've been in this space where I've been doing these things and I've been, you know, this type of person and you don't want to participate or associate yourself with me and where I've been or what I'm doing or something to the effect. And that just led me to believe just from you know that's what I think in the initials is what made me wonder did she have AIDS because of how she was presenting herself and then she had started the coughing and whatever so it was a whole lot of things that just were put together and I I was you know looking at the time frame we were in so I don't know it it makes sense to me I get it because I kind of feel like and this could be me pulling from some foggy memory from the book but I kind of feel like Hannah was living in a whorehouse or she was in a strip club like that was her job it was some sort of like she was a sex worker and maybe this neighborhood was the place where high society japanese would come to do stuff you know i don't know because with the friend and this is i just caught this when i watched the show again when the friend was telling uh solomon you know about being there it was almost like maybe he was a gay man and he abandoned his wife and family to move to this part of town. And this is like the only Ooh. place they could be. I don't know because the relationship he had with those people in that house was, it weird. definitely was, it was, 
it was weird. And that woman was just like, oh, you brought me a young boy? She's like, he's like, oh, he's not young enough for you. Like, what What kind of place is this? Yes, yes, I did remember that. Right. That, that didn't feel like his actual family. Like, that felt different. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I had a point, if I can remember it. Oh, that was the point. So if we imagine what young Hannah at 16 or 17 had to do to live when she ran away from home, then there's some obvious choices because she definitely wasn't going to like find some way to finish school and like fly right. She was going to try and play fast and loose. So I can honestly, I can definitely imagine that she found her way to sex work in some fashion and maybe caught the eye of some powerful people because that was what she liked to do. She was trying to do something different and, and travel. And then she got AIDS. Well, the next few episodes will tell us in the future. Do you know how many episodes this season is supposed to have? I think it's just eight. Oh my gosh, we're getting there. So we we're almost more. there. Yeah, because next week is seven. And then the week after that is eight if it's just eight. Right. That's why I'm like, they're, some of the stuff that we're questioning, we're not going to find out this season. And I'm crunching it in my head because they were talking about having, what, four? Were they talking about having four seasons? Yeah, right? That's what, I, that's what I got from you guys, four seasons, I think so. So four seasons of eight episodes each, 32 episodes. I wonder if they recorded the whole thing at once. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, not say they may have. Because traditionally speaking, like when we've watched at least Korean shows, they easily knock out 16. They sometimes do 40 for the soap operas. I could see them having those actors knock out the whole like four seasons and then they're just going to feed it to us little by little, give us a little bit of crack here and a little bit there. <laughs> That's a bad analogy. What do y'all think? Yeah, I don't know how it's done. You guys have that insight. I hope that um, we don't have to wait like like for Atlanta, like three or four years before we get another season up. That'll make me angry. <laughs> Girl, I'm so glad you brought that up because I ain't even, I don't know, have you started the new episode? Oh, yes. Of what, Atlanta? I have not. Yes. So, so I am, Sungray, I am just kind of like, I'm pouting about it, so I haven't really jumped to watching it yet. Me as well. Okay, so we're in the same boat because that's how I feel. I pray they don't do us like that either with Pachinko because, yeah, that uh pissed me off and it will make me not immediately get involved because Atlanta, I have not started. I've seen watch parties and all kind of stuff going on. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you all came back, but you sure took a long time and now I got to go back and rewatch to get myself caught back up. I'm just agitated. So... <laughs> I hope they don't do us like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just have a feeling that they won't, but I don't know if them drop it. I don't know if what they're going to do is drop episodes once a year. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. And I that hurts me. Like, it's one thing if they go six months or something like that. But if they're doing it annually, that's disrespectful. Um, let's as, let's do a little research something else and come back with some answers because you're good for this. This is up your alley to research and find out 
but also for myself because I am dead serious on you all are not going to if you're gonna do me like this I might be done with y'all yeah, that you. That's why I called it crack. You can't like get us hooked and then be like, mm, "Let me just give you a little bit." No, fool, I'm paying you money, actual money. Give me all of it. Mm. Mm. Anyway, but Atlanta. Let me just say, I've seen one episode so far. It is as crazy as ever, as crazy as ever, like painfully, because they are overseas. They're not even in Atlanta. It's a mess. I'm just going to say this because I don't care about spoilers. <laughs> <Atlanta. laughs> I, I got to. I got you to. Because they are understand. not in Atlanta. They're not in Atlanta. You, you can see the trailer oh, and know Jesus. that. They're not in Atlanta. And I'm going to say this. And I'm not going to give you any kind of context. All I'm going to say is Tupac. Girl. Tupac? Y'all got to, y'all got to watch. Tupac? Okay, this? let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. <laughs> Y'all bring got it back to, to watch Pacheco. it. <laughs> yeah, let's stick to Pacheco and we will do a separate, we should do a special podcast for just the last season of Atlanta because it is a, no, I've seen two episodes. I've seen two episodes. I think they dropped the first two at the same time or something. When I say they are brilliant, but sick and weird at the same time, it is, surrealism on a whole different level just be prepared all right i think i'll stop like holding a grudge against them and maybe after pachinko's done i'll i'll give them a chance i'll give uh atlanta a chance it it just gets weirder wow i'm i'm just blown away and yeah i think we may have to go ahead and put some thoughts on about this because wow i'm serious i feel like the the final season of Atlanta is worthy of like a quickie podcast you know like a quickie series or something like that I don't know I don't know how it would be tied if it'd be tied to Black Girl Soul or something else but woo wee <laughs> it ain't right it ain't right okay. it, 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 it touches your spirit a little bit like this one episode <clears throat> I'm not telling you it touches your spirit okay I have oh, one on. last thing I want to say, and this is just out of left field, but related to Pachinko. I watched on Apple TV, they had like a a making of Pachinko type thing video, and I was watching it, and I, I noticed that the actress that plays Sunja voices the English dub part, and I was very pleased with that. That is awesome, because I know the lady that does uh, Kyunghee is not she's uh i think she's english she's from england but yeah when i saw it i was like okay interesting i again have not listened to the dub since that very first time to check it out after you told us about it so i have no clue who's doing what voice but that's good to know she's doing her own because i need you to know there's an article out first let's just go ahead this is a side note but i must bring it up um something else is not the biggest fan of my first bias of all time, Eamon Ho, who plays. I don't hate uh, him. Kung I don't hate him. Cold I think he's fine. You don't hate I, him. I don't hate him. Huh? I don't hate yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, but you're not. Fine. You're not a big fan either. I'm gonna go there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. You are I'm not thirst bucket for him. I'm not thirst bucket for him. I'm just like, okay, I'll take a little sip, but not, not all the way. Go on. 
Okay, well, so I'm going to drink the whole cup. So moving on. In which case. <laughs> you have to share. You have to share just a little bit with me, please. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yo. Y'all. Oh, my but gosh. They have this whole article out where they're talking about his English and how his English is terrible and it's bad and he couldn't hold his on in the conversations and had to use the interpreter while the actress who plays um Sanja the younger version of Sanja not the older version but the younger version of Sanja was able to do her own her name is uh Kim Mina or Mina Kim depending on how you want to use it Kim is her last name her surname but any which way that um she was able to hold her own and speak in English clearly and whatever, whatever. But I was like, okay, one of the things I just, and this is just me as a Korean drama watcher from another country, I'm not Korean speaking. It just annoys me and bothers me when we assume people are supposed to be able to speak English. Fine if they do, that's great. It, it makes it a little easier for us who are not Korean speakers, but that's my whole point right there. There are a gang of us who don't speak Korean who entertain ourselves and enjoy ourselves through Korean media, music, television, such, you know, films, whatever, such and such. Stop expecting them to speak English. Stop expecting them to be able to communicate with you the way you communicate. That's not fair and it's not okay. That's not his first language. And so what if he doesn't speak English very well? That's not what he's supposed to do. The fact that we even recognize him means he's done his craft well enough to get recognition over here in a whole nother country or in countries where English is a language that is spoken and that they use. Stop with that. Like that annoys the hell out of me for consumers to assume people are supposed to always come the way they want them to come. And in America, I know that is a very American concept and thought to think oh, you're in America or you, something's in American, it should be in English. No, you better learn how to open your mind and realize this is a global society we live in with a whole lot of people from all over the world who speak a thousand different languages. Get get with the program and learn something else besides English. That's just my song okay. way soapbox. Sorry. Okay. Preach, preach, girl. No, preach. but listen, I, can, I agree with what you're saying, Song Ray, but I also think that it's impressive when you can speak more than one language because say, say I was in... The guy who plays Tom, say if he were interviewing and he started speaking Korean or Japanese, he did a little bit of Japanese in the show, but I don't know if he really speaks Japanese. It would be impressive. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, um, you have to speak necessarily speak English, but I'm just saying a multiple language speaker is impressive if we just don't even think about you know the whole hierarchy of it all so for me to see the actress that played sunja the young the the teenage sunja speaking english in her interview i wasn't like oh god i'm glad she's speaking english for me but i was like oh that's impressive she speaks english and it's really good you know and she can do that and i wish i could speak another language like that you know well, no, please, no, I was not directing that at you. I'm talking about that article because they had a whole article where they bashed him for not being able to. And one of the things that I think for Americans who watch media from other places, people from other places usually do have a other, another language. It may not necessarily be English, but they do speak other things because I believe he can speak Japanese. He's not an English, but English is not one of his better languages if that makes sense so that wasn't directed at you because i hear you and i do feel you i think it is impressive i like when they can because it makes it easier for me as a listener but like those people who do that complaining or they like get on i watch a lot of their uh what they call lives so let's say they host a live on instagram or they host a live on v live or some other format all the time what you see in the comments please speak english speak in english can you speak in english speak in english and i'm going are y'all crazy 
you chose to join this live. So either you need to learn how to decipher and figure out some Korean, or you need to find something else to do with yourself. Wait till somebody subs it, puts it out, but like stop with the complaining about them not speaking English. That's all. That wasn't. Yeah, no, no. I didn't. I didn't think you were attacking me, and I. I feel like basically um, we're we're agreeing on both sides. Like, I agree with what you said, and I think you agree with what what I'm saying. Definitely, yeah. Well. I- well, I agree with you both, and I I forget the term for it, but basically it's just this idea that like America or English speaking countries like England or something like that are the center of the universe, and people should be trying to cater to us. You know, just because you're sending your content over doesn't mean that the people who are selling the content need to speak to you in in English. The fact that we understand what he's saying through a translator is fine enough for me. But I also wonder if Eman Ho is getting a little bit of, you know, Eman hate because uh, <laughs> that's bad, but let's go with it. Eman hate because there was another article where they basically talked about his acting and said he was not really delivering. And we kind of talked about that too, where I only saw that in one scene. I think he's been doing a pretty good job. Um, I, that, that Taylor, you know, that Taylor scene, I felt he could have done better, but the article really was like talking about how other people are better actors and, you know, there are rumors or people are saying he's not acting as well. Um, I don't know if you saw that song, Ray, but do both yes, of you want to talk yeah. about it? I would say the way I look at actors and how effective and, and how good of an actor they are is yes by how they move like their expressions their intonation and all that but if i if i'm watching him dubbed or if i'm watching him speak korean and i don't understand what he's saying i feel like it's more difficult for me to gauge how well he's acting you know so for me i feel like he's doing pretty good but maybe he's saying something in a way in korean that isn't quite hitting just right if that makes any sense I agree. I hear you totally because you're correct. There are times when, you know, the way you, an intonation or the way you put something out or the facial expression you put with certain phrases makes something a little bit different. And you're right. We can't judge that because we're not native Korean speakers to understand those innuendos. Well, I think we've done this episode full justice at almost two hours. (laughs) so (laughs) we always have a good time is there anything at all you all want to add before we end this just that i'm looking forward to the next episode um of the show and i'm kind of sad that it's almost over i agree totally i am excited to see where they're taking us um learning a little bit more about kwan su and yeah i'm not i don't want this to end i'm like there's so much more i want to know Well, we will look out for it and we hope that our listeners follow along and listen to that you all are watching. Please comment and subscribe to our website for the following episodes about this show. Okay, so I am Something Else with Song Ray and our special guest, Natasha. Goodbye. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Black Girl Soul. 
We enjoyed having you, and please subscribe, like, and follow our Facebook page, YouTube channel, Twitter page, Instagram page, and join our Facebook group. You can also find us on Patreon. Please look below for links. See you guys next week.